0: You're listening to The 10-Minute Medic, the podcast for busy paramedic students. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Young. This week's podcast is sponsored by the Eastern Kentucky University Paramedic Program. They've been offering degrees to working paramedics for over 40 years. Now you can earn your degree 100% online. To learn more, visit their website at paramedic.eku.edu. Hyperkalemia, or a seriously elevated potassium, is a disease process that can be mysterious for the brand new paramedic as well as the experienced one. Subtle changes in the ECG as well as your ability to get and understand a good patient history is vital to the identification and the treatment of this potentially life-threatening issue. Let's learn a little bit more about it today. A serum potassium of greater than 5.5 can result in life-threatening cardiac changes in the adult patient. These patients are known as being hyperkalemic. If the blood levels get above 7, the patient can then begin to undergo some neurological changes. Levels above 8.5 mEq per liter often result in complete cardiac arrest. Because of the important role the potassium plays in the conductivity action of the cardiac muscle, we can begin to see some specific changes in the patient's electrocardiogram. Let's take a look at a few of them, as well as some treatment directions and options that we might need to go. One patient population that has common concerns regarding the level of potassium in the body are those suffering from end-stage renal disease. This is the most common etiology of an elevated potassium. If you know that your renal failure patient has an issue with hyperkalemia, then they must be placed on a cardiac monitor for continuous monitoring, an IV established, as well as getting one or more 12 lead EKGs. Many of patients with elevated potassium levels have muscle discomforts as well as these EKG changes that we'll talk a little more about. Although a patient may not be aware of an elevated potassium until lab work reveals it, many of them are asymptomatic. Weakness and fatigue are the most common complaints that your patients may present with when they are having elevated potassium levels. For the patient who is in mild hyperkalemia, usually a lab value between 5.5 and 6.5 milliequivalents per liter, the T wave on the EKG is one of the most common indicators that can be seen. The size of the T wave begins to increase while at the same time it becomes very narrow and then ultimately peaks, much like you would see with a tent. It's important to keep in mind that while we sometimes as educators focus on T wave changes in hyperkalemia, They may only be present in one out of five patients who actually have higher potassium levels. This can also be further complicated by the masking of the hyperkalemia-induced T-wave changes by digitalis, a once common cardiac medication that's still given today. Let's take a closer look at how excessive potassium can negatively affect the cardiac muscle at the cellular level. The resting potential, or to put it another way, the resting phase of the cardiac cell is highly dependent on the amount of sodium ready to flow in and out of the cellular membrane. The cardiac action potential is a brief change in voltage across the cell membrane of the heart cells. According to Dr. Richard Klabend, membrane potentials result from a separation of positive and negative charges across the membrane similar to the plates within a battery that separate positive and negative charges. Just by way of review, the membrane potential of the cardiac cell, or any other cell for that matter, is the difference between the electrical charge between the inside and the outside of the cell as expressed in millivolts. As potassium crosses the membrane and enters the cell, it begins an exchange with sodium via the sodium-potassium pump. The end result of this electrolyte exchange is an electrical impulse in the nerve cells leading to physical contraction. As potassium exits the cell, repolarization takes place. Part of the job of this repolarization is to regulate the heartbeat. As I talked about earlier, as potassium increases, the T wave will often also begin to become taller. In addition to this classic indicator, a PR interval that is greater than 0.20 seconds, depressed ST segments, and the loss of visible P waves will often occur. If you don't treat this, the QRS will now start to widen and conduction down the bundle branches will begin to be affected. When you run your 12 lead on your patient, this will often resemble a bundle branch block. Your patient's at a very high risk for transitioning in ventricular fibrillation when they get to this point. It's important for you as the paramedic to remember that these changes may or may not be apparent until after potassium reaches a really dangerous level. When treating renal failure patients who may be in cardiac arrest, hyperkalemia should be one of your primary diagnoses. And yes, paramedics do indeed diagnose, but we'll save that for another podcast. For these patients, the administration of calcium may be life-saving. Calcium will help to stabilize the cardiac cell membrane. Keep in mind that the administration of calcium should not be done on the presence of peak T-waves by themselves alone. The administration of calcium will help with the EKG changes seen on your monitor, but it is not an antagonistic effect on the amount of potassium, much as what we would see when we give Narcan to neutralize the effects of opioids. In other words, the level of potassium remains the same. Typically, EMS has two choices when it comes to the type of calcium to administer. Calcium chloride is often preferred as it has three times the amount of calcium, as does calcium gluconate. The dosing regimen of calcium gluconate is 1,000 milligrams, or 10 milliliters, of a 10% solution. Calcium chloride is given at 500 to 1,000 milligrams, or 5 to 10 milliliters, of a 10% solution. It should be given slowly, over a minimum of 3 minutes. During your administration of either type of calcium, you must monitor your cardiac monitor for any changes, as well as watch the patient closely. The body typically responds quite quickly to the calcium, and you can watch the changes being made on your EKG monitor. If necessary, repeat the dose after five minutes if there's been little to no change in the EKG status. Calcium is a great electrolyte to use to help stop the effect of the presence of an elevated amount of potassium and its detrimental effect on the cardiac cell wall. It does this by regulating the electrical gradient throughout the cell membrane. The administration of calcium is not without its risk, however. Too much calcium may result in the onset of a systole in patients who have dangerously high levels of digitalis. In addition, if the calcium that you're administering infiltrates out of the vein and into the surrounding tissues, necrosis can occur. There are some things that you can help to do to minimize this. First, when you start your IV, use the largest vein that's available on your patient. Quite often, this is the antecubital vein. When possible, administer through an 18-gauge or larger catheter. You may also want to dilute the concentrate that you're administering with normal saline. Stop the injection administration immediately if you notice swelling or if the patient begins to complain of pain or burning at the IV site. Some agencies may be administering high-dose albuterol via nebulizer to reduce the concentration of potassium in the blood. Injectable albuterol may be used, but this will be rarely administered by the paramedic. Most of the time, this waits until you get to the hospital. Once you get to the hospital, the patient may be given a medication called k This medication pulls the potassium out of the body via the intestinal tract. However, this medication is quickly falling out of favor because of the risk of severe necrosis or tearing of that intestinal tract. The bottom line for you as the paramedic when presented with a patient who may be hyperkalemic is as follows. First, if your patient presents with an irregular bradycardia and they have a history of dialysis or renal failure, one of the first differential diagnoses that you must come up with is the presence of hyperkalemia. If you suspect this, get a 12 lead immediately. Make sure that you're aware of the EKG changes that accompany hyperkalemia. According to an article by Dr. Eleanor Letter, these include tall, peaked T waves with a narrow base best seen in the precordial leads. In addition, your patient may have a shortened QT interval and ST segment depression. At higher levels, the EKG will typically begin to widen, and you may see an amplified R-wave. Lastly, remember that the drug calcium in either the form of calcium chloride or calcium gluconate is an important step in helping to stop some of the negative effects of the elevated potassium. Beware of it infiltrating into the surrounding tissue. Give this via a large vein, give it slowly, and watch to see if your patient reports of any pain or burning at the site of injection. Thanks again for listening to today's podcast. Beginning next week, we're going to start a four-part series on metabolic and respiratory acidosis and alkalosis. I hope you'll join in, and if you found this helpful, make sure you share it with somebody. Thanks again.